I titled the message today, Lord, Increase Our Faith. You know, that's a, that is a prayer that we can all pray. Lord, increase my faith. Increase our faith, our faith in you. Help us to have faith to know that there's nothing impossible for you. Does anybody believe that, that there's nothing impossible for God? I hope every head is shaking yes and none's going like this. Because there is nothing impossible for God. There's nothing He can't do. He can make us vital for His kingdom to age 90, to age 100. I mean, look at Abraham. He was 100. We're going to talk about Sarah just briefly. He was 100 years old. Abraham was 90 years old and had a child. There is nothing impossible for our God. Lord, increase our faith that we will trust you to do the unimaginable. Things that we can't imagine. Greater than we can even imagine. Okay, now, now we'll begin. Luke 17, we're continuing in Luke. It's a very short uh, passage, 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he, Jesus, said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. That is not a suggestion. That's right. You know, when you read Psalms, it has Selah. That means pause and think about this. That's not a suggestion. If your brother repents, he comes to you and says, Forgive me, forgive him or her. Just let it go and forgive them, right? Amen. And if he sins against you, now this is where it gets even tougher. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, one day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Didn't I say it was going to get tougher? You shall forgive him even seven times in one day. Now, I don't know about you, but after about the third time, I think, all right, this is about enough. <laughs> I mean, come on. You better get, a, you know, yeah. get your act in order, right? So Jesus says, seven times in a day he returns to you I say, and says, repent. You shall forgive him. Here's where my title came from. And it just, the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's going to take great faith to forgive that brother Amen. seven Amen. times in one day. Amen. Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk. And afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, he's talking to the disciples. Remember that he's talking to believers. So he's saying, likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Amen. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading 
of His Holy Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we praise You, we worship You, we thank You for Your Word. And Father, I just pray that Your Word would penetrate deep into our hearts, that it would take root in our hearts, and it would guide and direct everything that we do in our lives. And Father, I pray that every word spoken today would bring glory and honor to Your kingdom, that it would help us to grow in our relationship with You, and Lord, help us to help others grow in their relationship with You. Father, that's what it's all about, us growing and helping others grow in our relationship with You, and I pray that every word spoken would be used for that, for Your glory and, and bring the glory of Your kingdom, for You are, you are faithful, Father, and I pray that You would help us by the power of Your Spirit to have faith in You and trust and increase our faith, Lord, as we go forth today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, as you read through this, these ten verses, it almost seems like there's they're not really connected in a great way. You know, it talks about that no offenses would come. Then it talks about forgiving a brother. He comes even seven times in a day. And then verse 7 is kind of like, and which of you having a servant? And it's kind of like, how are they connected? You know, having a servant is plowing the field, tending the sheep. Are you going to thank him? No, get busy, get my dinner ready, right? So you wonder, how are these connected? But you break these down, they have important lessons for us in how to live our Christian lives. And I truly believe myself that every word spoken by Jesus Christ and penned by the authors, the disciples, and those who wrote the Scriptures is good and valuable for teaching us and helping us to know how we live, how we should live as His sons and daughters. Amen. So whether it all connects and makes a good sense as we read it, it's all valuable, it's all very important. So the lessons that we will learn in today's passage is the lesson about temptation, of course, offenses, same thing, about forgiveness, about faith, and about unworthiness. That we should say we are an unworthy servant. So let's begin with temptation. The New King James Version said to us that it is impossible, impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come, some Bible versions, as I already said, will use temptation there. So it's impossible that no temptation should come. You know, the implication is twofold here. Jesus knows that we live in a fallen world. He knows that. And He knows that men have a tendency to sin. Is that right? Amen. You know, Paul says, That which I will to do, I do not do. That which I will not to do, I do. So even Paul struggled with it, right? It's impossible that no offenses, no temptations, no sins would come. We have all sinned, right? Has anybody here not sinned? All right, for those that may be listening or watching, no hands went up. Because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And there is a very good chance that we will probably sin again. There's probably going to be a chance, a day that comes where we're probably going to sin. And if you think, well, nah, not me, well then you sure better watch your speed on when you get down the road today. It's not you're breaking the law, right? <laughs> it's the nature of man to sin. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You know, we look at the current situation in the United States. 
I know we love our nation and there's no other nation I'd rather live in. But we look at all that's going on in our nation. Let's look at the rioting. It bears evidence that sin will happen. And you know, we look at what has caused this rioting. What caused this rioting? A very grievous sin. It really did. It was a very grievous sin that a police officer, someone that is is supposed to protect the community, would handcuff a guy, have him pinned to the ground, have his knee on the back of his neck, and hold him down until he suffocates. My friends, that is a grievous sin. It truly is. And just as grievous is that three other police officers would stand right there and watch it happen. I just don't quite understand how they could do that. Why did they not go over there and knock him off of that guy? So you might be mad at me now, but you're going to be thanking me in a while. Why didn't they do that? I don't know. I can't answer that. We can't answer that. I don't know why. But friends, it was a sinful thing that he did. He murdered that guy. There's no other way around it. He murdered that guy. He was unarmed and handcuffed. Was he high? I don't know. But if he was high, who cares? Let him get up and run away. You don't kill the guy. It was a grievous sin. So I, do, I believe, and you may not agree with me, but I believe that the peaceful protests that are happen, happening around the nation, they are warranted because of this. I believe that the people have to have a, sh- a way to express the need for justice to be served. They have to have a way to express their concerns for the treatment of minorities. I believe that. You may not agree, but I believe it's okay to protest. You know, there are, but for those that are rioting, I I separate them into two different groups. You have the protesters, you have the rioters. The rioters are doing wrong. They're bursting into businesses, they're burning them down, they're looting, they're stealing from them. People are getting hurt. There are some that are slamming their vehicles into police cars trying to cause harm. Now, I don't know about you, but I was always taught that two wrongs don't make a right. And I understand maybe they don't know any other way to express their anger. But two wrongs, my friends, don't make a right. Because they sin doesn't mean that they should go out and sin to show their disgust about what they did. But one thing for sure, this ought to jolt America to its core. It really should. Maybe all that's going on ought to jolt us to our core and realize how far we have fallen from God. What's going to change it? Karen already said it. One word. Love. Because all the rioting does and all the other stuff does is bring division and hatred. And that is not of God. We know that that comes from the devil. So love is one word. We show them our love. We show them they need to love themselves also. We talked about that Wednesday night. How do we get them, the minorities, to love themselves? How do we get them to love life? With much prayer and with showing it. You know, riots are nothing new. We've been having riots since the beginning of our nation, right? And, And long before that. Have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Mutiny? 1783? 
Well, beginning back in March 1781, you know our capital used to be in Philadelphia, right? At a place that was called Independence Hall, right? So, under the authority of the Articles of the Confederation, Congress did not have direct control over the military back in 1781, except in times of war. And they was largely reliant on the use of militias to enforce laws and to keep order in the nation. On June 17, 1783, Congress received a message from soldiers of the Continental Army that were stationed at the time in Philadelphia, and they were demanding payment for their services during the American Revolution. So all their time, all their service, they weren't getting paid. And they had had enough. They sent a message to Congress, we want our pay, we want to have what's, what's coming to us, right? So the soldiers threatened to take action that day if their complaints were not addressed. What did Congress do? Well, pretty much what they do today, nothing. They ignored them. They did nothing. The soldiers that day did not act, but two days later, however, they did. And Congress received word that about 80 soldiers left their posts in Lancaster and went and joined others, and about 500 men effectively took control over the weapons and all the munitions that were stored. Protests. Protests have been happening. One in my lifetime. They call it the long, hot summer of 1967. There were 159 race riots that erupted across the United States. There were riots in places like Atlanta, Boston, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Tampa, Birmingham, Chicago, New York, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, again, back then, New Britain, Rochester, Plainfield. Some of the most destructive riots were in Newark, New Jersey, Detroit, Michigan. And I remember, they happened in Baltimore because I was there as a child. I was seven years old. But I remember the National Guard set up in the park. I remember they were dest destroying buildings back then. We had a 4.30 in the afternoon curfew. We had to be in because of the rioting. Back then, what was it caused? What was the cause of this rioting? Abusive policing, poor housing for those that were minorities. While the rioting was happen, happening all across the nation, that was also called the summer of love. You had the hippie community. Anybody remember Woodstock and all that? That was all going on. The Vietnam War was going on at we could turn the news on and watch the troop movement around Vietnam. President Lyndon Johnson set up the Kerner Commission to investigate the riots. And in 68, he released a report blaming pervasive societal, societal inequalities on the riots. That's what caused the riots. By September... 83 people were dead, thousands were injured, tens of millions of dollars in property damage had been done. Entire neighborhoods were burned. So we've had riots since the history of our nation, right? You look at the history of the riots, 
I went back and found some 1700s, but I looked from 1900 to today, 1900 even to today, and there was very rare occasion where there was not a riot every year. From 1900 to today, there were a few times when they skipped the year that there was no riots. Many years, there were multiple riots. I've said that to say this. Apparently, we Americans do not learn very well from our past mistakes, do we? Because when you look at the history from 1900 on, most of them, or I wouldn't, shouldn't say most, but a lot of those were because of race, because of minority. We haven't learned very well, have we? We haven't learned to love our neighbor the way we should, have we? We haven't learned to care for our neighbor. Back to our scripture. Our scripture said, But woe to him through whom they do come. Talking about the offenses and temptations. The Greek meaning of offenses is literally a snare or a trap. Does anyone remember what a trap that you would trap an animal looks like? It has two opposing halves and, you know, a lot of times they have these teeth sticking up on them and they got a thing that you step on and whack. That trap's got that animal. It's, it's embraced by that trap. It can't get out. Sometimes a wild animal will chew its own leg off to get out of that trap, won't it? What a good illustration of how sin will entrap us. It's like it'll just grab us and won't let go. It's impossible that no offenses, no sin will come. Matthew 18, 6-11 says, it's very similar to our passage from Luke, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter life lame or maimed rather than living with two hands or two feet and to be cast into everlasting fire. Remember that trap. Chew your leg off if you got to to get away from that sin. Is what it's saying here. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye. It's talking about eternal life rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. My friends, avoid that trap. And don't set that trap for someone else. Woe to him who sets that trap for someone else. Woe to that one. That's the warning for the one that would set a trap or put a stumbling block in front of someone else. Woe to that one that would tempt that former drunk who had turned to Christ to have a drink. Woe to that one that would tempt that man who had turned from a life of pornography to come and look at this pornographic magazine. Woe to that one that would put a stumbling block in front of that young new believer in Jesus Christ. Whatever their past sins may have been, woe to that one. It would be better to him to be cast into the sea 
better to him never have been born. The believer must earnestly strive not to put a stumbling block in the, in the path of others or to allow that sinner temptation to get that hold of you either. In his book, Daily Gems, D.L. Moody shared this story. A blind man in a great city was found sitting at a street corner with a lantern beside him, a lit lantern beside him. Someone went up to him and asked him why he had the lantern since he was blind and the light was the same to him as darkness. The blind man simply replied, so that no, no one may stumble over me. We know, we who know Christ, of course, we are not blind. But like that man, we too must provide light so that those who are lost can find their way to heaven. Without the light of Christ shining through us, His followers, they will stumble in their search for peace, in their search for light. When He speaks of these little ones in our passage in Luke and in Matthew, He's not just talking about children. He's talking about new believers, immature in their faith. We must encourage them. We must teach them. But we also must make sure we are teaching them the truth. Sometimes that stumbling block is something that we've got wrong from here. We must make sure we are teaching the truth and not teaching a false doctrine. Next, we learn of forgiveness. He says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times, this is worth repeating, seven times in a day, and seven times he returns to you saying, Brother, I repent. You shall forgive him. I find it so interesting that that's the point where they said, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Because, friends, it will take great faith. It would take great faith to forgive someone that many times. Let's just say it would take great faith to forgive someone that has sinned against you many times. Whether it's seven times in one day or seven times in a month, we're still going to need supernatural help to forgive that person. That's what he's saying. They say increase our faith. It is a gift. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's listed as one of the gifts. The gift of faith. Lord, increase my faith. Matthew 18 records the same teaching. Then Peter came to him and said, that's 18, 21, 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. You're like, okay, that's 490. <laughs> no, don't, that's not the point, right? The point that Jesus is trying to press into our hearts to get us to understand that we are to keep no record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. If your brother who has sinned against you five years ago comes up to you and you say, you remember that time you did that thing to me? Then you haven't forgiven him. If your spouse says, you remember 30 years ago what you did to me? Remember 30 years ago you slapped me in the face? I had it coming. <laughs> I forget what I did. But it, was, it wasn't mean. Anyhow, 
But if you keep bringing it up, you haven't forgiven. Let it go. Let it go. I've heard, I've heard that. Let it go. Let it go. We must forgive. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, through 7, the New Living Translation, says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Friends, are we there? Church, are we there? It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about iniquity, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You know, Pastor Gary was talking about being evangelist. Dr. John R. Rice, a great evangelist who has now gone to be with the Lord, was asked to conduct a revival meeting at a Baptist church in Woodbine, Texas. Division and strife had broken the heart of the pastor until it got so bad that he just resigned and left. He couldn't take it anymore. The county missionary, hoping to see that that little church revived, and God's work made prosperous once again, asked Dr. Rice if he would come and preach revival services at this Baptist church. He found the whole community divided. More than one deacon had wound up in fistfights with one another over the quarrels, quarrels that had reached the whole community. Many had made a vow never to return to that church. Dr. Rice never did find out most of the details of the, of the division. But with a burden in his soul, he preached against sin. He urged God's people to clean up their lives. He pleaded with them to make peace with their neighbors and their brothers and sisters in Christ. Night after night he preached. Guess what happened? Those who had been angry with one another were now angry with him. Because <laughs> he was preaching against their sin. One morning, a woman in the community stated, started rather, to make a telephone call to Dr. Rice. She was going to tell him, we're tired of you meddling in our business, in our affairs. But her 19-year-old son stopped her. He said, Mother, you are wrong. He says, I have just been out in the woods praying, and I know that Brother Rice is right. If we Christians do not get right with each other, we can never have revival. I, for one, am going to try to get right. His mother didn't make that call. In the next service, Dr. Rice called for a time of testimony. With tears streaming down her face, one woman rose and begged forgiveness of another woman with whom she had quarreled. The other woman swiftly rose and came to meet her. They put their arms around one another and wept in the aisle. Confessions came from all parts of the building. The deep moving of God was upon the people as they began to make restitution and ask for forgiveness and seek Christ's fellowship once again. That afternoon, the news went like wildfire through the community. And that night, the little church building was crowded. People came to the church who had made vows that they would never come again. From the very beginning of the service, the Holy Spirit was there. 
Dr. Rice preached the gospel, and at the invitation, men and women accepted Christ as their Savior with tears streaming down their face. Dozens of people were saved. Hundreds of Christians were revived. And people came from miles to fill that little church for the rest of the meetings, which lasted for four weeks. Forgive. 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 The Lord commands not to put a stumbling block and to forgive. To forgive to the degree that we keep no record of a wrong. That, my friends, is a high calling. How can we do this? How? We do what the apostles did. We say, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase my faith. Help me to forgive as you forgave. You want a high calling? There it is. Help me to forgive as you forgive. Faith. You know, there are many times as we read through the Gospels that it seems like the disciples kind of missed Jesus' point. Didn't quite understand what He was talking about. But they're very perceptive here. They recognize the great faith in God that is needed to get along with people. Amen. The great faith that is needed to be able to forgive in a non-offending way, right? Without an extraordinary degree of faith, we would never be able to forgive someone. We've got to have great faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed, faith as a mustard seed. According to Geddon Hayes, the root of a mulberry tree, which Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to that mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea. A mulberry tree is said to be extraordinarily strong. It was thought that the tree could stay rooted for 600 years. What an amazing root system, right? Lord, help my faith to be like the mulberry tree. Deep-rooted. Deep-rooted could last for years and years and years. 600 years. You know, I don't want the faith of an old pine tree that just grows out close to the top of the ground and a good strong wind can blow it over. Let my faith be strong like a mulberry tree, right? That we may be able to forgive. That we may not hold bitterness in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters. But through faith, we will be able to forgive. Lastly, the unworthy servants. You know, there's a servant that comes in from plowing. It says he come in from plowing the fields and tending the sheep. That's hard work. He's going to come in and then he's got to prepare dinner? I mean, wow, what a versatile servant that is. He can plow the fields, tend the sheep, cook the dinners, bake the, bake the rolls, probably even make dessert. What a versatile... Huh? It's called a wife. It's called a wife. Good one. It's called a wife. They are. They can do it all. They can clean the house, cook the meals, cut the grass. They can do it all, right? A versatile servant. You know, our nature would say... To that master, how ungrateful. How ungrateful. I mean, that, work, that servant worked hard. Let him enjoy that. Let him come in and sit down. Why don't you serve him? But we know that Jesus did serve them. But the servant knew that that was his duty. That's his duty. We are unprofitable servants. You know, the kind of attitude that Jesus is talking about is not a false humility either. 
not one that says, oh, I'm no good for anything. It's one that simply recognizes that what Jesus Christ has done is so great. It's far more than we can ever do for Him. Is it not? It is far more than... How can we repay that? We can't. Thank you, Pastor. We can't. He has secured eternal life for each and every soul that believes in Him. We cannot repay that. He did it out of pure love for us. So what we do for Him should be out of pure, honest gratitude that says, I'm not worthy. I don't expect payment. I'm doing it out of my gratitude for you. It's when we realize what He has done for us that we serve Him, that we serve Him faithfully. What an amazing work of forgiveness that He did for us. Anything we do pales in comparison. So my friends, what we do for Him is our duty. Amen. It is our duty to do that. When our hearts are right with Him, it will be out of duty that we serve Him. We are unworthy servants. We don't deserve what He did for us. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. We didn't deserve it. We still don't deserve it. But we gratefully say, Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Help me, Lord, to serve you with all that I am. All that is within me. Use me. Increase my faith to help me serve you. So as we've talked about faith, and that we should cry out, Lord, increase my faith. I said I was going to mention Sarah, so I saved her for the end. You all remember the story of Sarah and Abraham. And Sarah, they, they longed for a child, longed for a child of their own. And you know that song just said, in my weakness. God waited till her body was so weak and could not, in a natural way, bring forth a child. She had to trust in Him. We know that, that one time the angel came and Sarah laughed. She laughed because, you know, Lord, you waited till I'm so old that I'm beyond those, well beyond those years. My friends, that's how the Lord works. In Hebrews 11, verse 11, says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Here is why. Because she judged Him faithful who had promised. My friends, I hope you caught that. She judged Him faithful. She had enough faith to, have, to know that He was faithful to do what He said He could do. So when you say, I am weak, I can't do this. If He's called you, if He's the one you've called to send, put your faith in Him and know that He is faithful to do it. Amen. Increase our faith and increase our faith that He can do that He is faithful. May our faith just be in His faith, in His faithfulness. That's where Sarah put her faith, in His faithfulness, in His promise. He's promised to be with us. And He will increase our faith when we cry out to Him. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank You. We thank You for Your faithfulness. Father, we know that You can do what You say You're going to do. We know that You will fulfill Your promises. We know that you fulfilled your promise to redeem the world when you sent your Son. And we thank you for that. Father, we know that there's a day coming where you're sending your Son back again. 
But Father, may we be faithful to get out and find those that don't know you, Father. Help us to just help us to just be faithful, Father, to be used by you to lead them to you, to guide them and teach them and help them learn and understand Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Father, just use us for your glory and for your honor. Just may your strength, may your abilities work in and through us for your glory. And may you watch over us and keep us till we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.